Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Section 103, the Fordham Ram Sports Podcast. Episode one was a success, and we are back now for episode two, making it officially a podcast. We're happy to be here. Alex Woltz, Dylan Balsamo, Michael Hernandez. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Alex. You know, what's interesting is I think it was officially a podcast after one episode. It's all you need. No. Two episodes makes it a series. That's what it is. Huh, there I'm you go. About it that way. All right. All right. I'll, I'll use that terminology. Okay, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm going to take Dylan's line, or I guess Alex's oh. Last time, hello, hello, hello. Um, you know, just happy to be here and uh, and to keep up the work. So something I have to bring up off the top is you'll notice that we're missing one of our members today, Kaylee Bell. And the reason for that, she is working overtime these days, and we could not find a good time to schedule this podcast. And the reason I bring that up is, Dylan, I found it very funny that you would think it'd be harder to make a podcast during a pandemic than it is to make it during a normal summer. But we were so wrong about that because between everybody's schedules, the amount of stuff going on, it's impossible these days. Yeah, I feel like it's been a month since we recorded that last episode. Like, it's just, it has been so impossible to try and do these. And, and uh, you know, obviously we had trouble making sure this ended up on SoundCloud, but we took care of that. And then, uh, yeah, no, people have just been working so hard because I think uh, uh, they, they realize all the time that they spent inside during uh, the really the heat of the pandemic. And they're like, I got to get out of the house. And I think that's a big part of it. I'm curious, guys. We'll start. We got a lot to get to today. So much between the Fordham side of it. We got the MLB draft, Fordham heading to the Olympics, and so much to talk about there. And we also have to run through some of the things that have happened in sports over the past few weeks uh, with soccer, the NBA finals. Mike's a big F1 guy. Some interesting things there and interesting developments in the NFL's vaccination policy. So I'm going to start with you guys and just ask when, when we talk about the Olympics, I want to start there because we're recording this on Thursday before the opening ceremony takes place tomorrow. And some other things have gotten underway. There's been some softball already and some, some exciting things and a lot of new sports in the mix this year as well. Skateboarding is one of them. I'm a big skateboarding guy, really excited about that. So I'm just curious for you guys, if we talk more broadly about the Olympics, what are you most looking forward to? And, and Dylan, maybe we can go to you first, just about, I mean, this is the biggest sporting event in the world. I mean, and even though there's going to be no fans, there's still a lot of excitement about it. You know, it certainly is exciting. And, you know, I am, I'm the kind of person and I'm sure you guys are like this also as, as sports fans and people who are very interested in the, in the uh, compartmentalization of sports, um, is that, you know, I like when things are organized and the Olympics are very organized, but there's so much going on that I have trouble keeping track of it. And it almost like turns me off to it where I'm like, I can't keep, I can't follow all this. This is insane. So I end up watching the event in primetime being like, look at everything I missed today. Um, so it, it can be difficult with that, but, you know, you know, as you mentioned, uh, earlier, you know, having any Olympians that you're associated with in the Olympics, just having a country alone that represents you is exciting, but having, uh, Fordham Rams and Fordham Ram alumni is incredibly exciting. And before we get to you, Michael, there's a, you mentioned the Fordham alumni. We have three Fordham athletes heading off to the Olympics this year, Nick Martinez and the, the return of baseball in the Olympics. So that's really exciting. And he'll be heading out to represent Fordham, Fiona Murtaugh qualifying for the Irish women's four team. And I've spoken to her a couple of times now, just really, really awesome women and really excited about her and, and the chance that she has for Ireland to go out there and get a medal. And an interesting story here of an incoming freshman actually to Fordham from the, the, um, Nepal, Alex Gadigard Shah in the 100 meter freestyle for swimming. So Michael, a lot of Fordham representation, a lot going on in general at the Olympics. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, uh, you know, uh, uh, congratulations for them to making it at the Olympics because that alone is a huge achievement. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, um, well, with everything that's been going on, you know, I'm just ready to sit down for bed and, and you know, just watch uh, the uh, our Fordham Ram members just, you know, uh, hopefully uh, succeed. 
And I'll say what's been so interesting to me talking to Fiona specifically, that's really the best experience I have to go off of is that you think about there's such a difference between Olympic sports and professional sports because professional sports, you have a season every year. So the preparation process is a little bit different versus something like the Olympics, where it is a four year climb to get to that point. And, you know, Fiona, you take Kerr as an example, has competed at European championships, has competed at world championships and done all these different things, but it's all working towards the Olympics. And when you spend that four years working for something, get it taken away in 2020 and now have to reset, come back in 2021. And what I can imagine is such a difficult environment, you know, talking to her for an interview for Fordham Athletics, she was saying how they really are under so many restrictions there. They can't leave the Olympic village. They have to deal with all these difficult circumstances. You saw the posts on social media, they're in cardboard beds now, which is just fascinating the things that are going on out there. And to, to have to go through all that, in addition to the four year training to get here and remain focused on what's ahead. I'm just so excited to see how the athletes prepare for this because like you said, it's such a unique time and to prepare for the Olympics in general, but especially in a year like this. Yeah, it, re it really is just so strange. And, you know, to talk about um, the, the the incredible feat it is just to get to the Olympics. There's this thing that's been jumping around on Twitter in the last couple of weeks of people saying every Olympic event should start with a regular person trying to do it, <laughs> prove just how difficult it is and how much better these people are. Even, you can pole vault. I think you can yeah, pole exactly. vault. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, I can personally pole vault. But, you know, I, I did that freshman year and uh, I was too good. I had to quit. But at the end of the day, what's it's it's just such it's such an odd experience of, you know, we all really we all really felt that hit of the pandemic immediately um, in what is almost 18 months ago at this point, which is crazy. but um to be gearing up for the olympics like i was gearing up for the end of sophomore year of college let alone the olympics um it it, it just I, I can't imagine what that fall must have been in those months of when it became very clear the olympics were not going to happen in 2020 uh so that climb up just makes every feat that we will see this summer that much more impressive I think on that note, something that's always so impressive about the Olympics, too, is the athletes with so many different backgrounds. You know, you think about professional sports, how it's everybody that kind of goes through the similar process. You go to high school, you go to college, you get drafted, you go to the professional stage. But when you talk about the Olympics, the development cycles are so different. And you talk about, again, I'm going to keep going back to Fiona because it's the only experience I have to, to, to go off of. But she was kind of rowing from a really young age at Ireland, uh, clubs in Ireland. And, you know, that's really been just a culture there from a very young age. And you know, you're on the professional scene at a, at a young age, you know, as opposed to being in high school, being in college, you're professional in some of these countries at such a young age, and it kind of transfers right into going to the Olympics. So the backgrounds in all these countries and how they prepare for the events are always so fascinating to me. And I think even in such a weird year like this in the Olympics, it's not going to be the same when you don't have fans there. That element of it, Michael, I don't think that element of just the preparation and the performance factor, that, that remains no matter what, what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, uh, like you said, you know, it is the Olympics, you know, like you train your whole lives for this. Obviously, you know, it's going to be different w without the fans, you know, without hearing the roar of the crowd, you know, being on their side. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, if if they've made it here, I, I feel like they're able to, you know, just focus on themselves, and, you know, kind of ignore the, the crowd in some cases. So I, I feel like they are mentally prepared for this. Uh, and as for your idea, Dylan, of having one regular person, I fully support that. I'm not going to lie. I think that make a lot of more people watch the, sh uh, watch the Olympics, you know, because it's like, oh, that's me. And then that's an Olympian who's been training their entire lives, you know, point taken, you know, like, well done. <laughs> There was a video uh, Katie Nolan did from ESPN that I've always stuck with me where she found people on the internet on YouTube comment sections that made fun of field goal kickers that missed field goals and she proceeded to bring them to the studio and have them kick real field goals. And the results were fascinating. So I think I think that's a very good idea. And in general, we don't appreciate some of these Olympic sports. I mean, I've never done half of them. And I'm curious for you guys, like, 
when you watch this, what is your favorite sport of yours to watch the Olympics? As I mentioned, there's a lot of new ones coming in the mix this year. I was just watching the X Games. That's kind of why I was bringing up skateboarding because I love the X Games. One of my favorite things of the year because this stuff is just insane. When you look at the dirt biking and all these wild things and you know the the free bikes that they have in the skate parks, it's so fascinating. This stuff, and I'm like, that's impressive, man. I just I say that all the time about these things. Well, something I love personally about um, about the Olympics is I, I like watching like the the sports that are just like on the brink of getting into exactly. the Olympics of just like the, the ones that have just become like IOC recognized, like, like disc golf and ultimate mm. frisbee. And then like, I think break dancing just started getting mm -hmm. Olympic recognized, yeah. Yeah. which is really cool. Cause you know, we go to Florida and break dancing kind of like originated in the Bronx and like, that's so cool. Um, but you know, I, I've, I've always been a big, I like, I like swimming. I like gymnastics. Uh, I love the winter Olympics also. I, I know that's not what we're talking about, but like, uh, like bobsledding is just such a it's such a wonderful Olympic sport to watch. But you know, obviously, as a pro sports team sports fan, you love basketball, you love soccer. This there's just so much to enjoy. I like equestrian type things because I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's really so strange. Uh, I just I I love how strange things will get. I think my favorite though would be rugby sevens. I think is my favorite. Oh okay. Mike, what about you? Um, I would say in the Summer Olympics, I would have to say ping pong. I'm not going to lie. Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that ping pong's up there. Um, and obviously, you know, it's not the winners uh, of the Winter Olympics, but if uh, Winter Olympics, I would say, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, curling. The, oh. Yeah, you know, yes. I, I'm not going to lie. It's it's kind of satisfying to see them, you know, uh, do that. So, I've curled once before, actually. Greatest thing ever. It really that is. That looks it's so great cool. Fun. Oh, I want to get fun. into it. The stones are kind of heavy. Once you get the hang of it, you know, you get the right stance. It's actually, it's very impressive. It takes a lot of skill too. And it's again, back to our original point about the skill of these sports. You don't appreciate it. And we're all looking forward to the Olympics. We're looking forward to the Fordham athletes in particular and be keeping a close eye on them as we head into the Olympics to start tomorrow. So we're really excited about that. And so much to just have sports on every day. Like it doesn't get any better than that. So really looking forward to that. And also we talk about Fordham athletes moving up to the next level. We had some of that in major league baseball as well, two draft picks from Fordham this year. And it, really is a growing trend for the university barring last year, which was the, the odd five round draft. We still had two guys actually signed after that draft, but we've had athletes drafted in each of the preceding drafts for a few years now. And this year, two more entering the mix, obviously number one, Matt Mikulski, the Southpaw 50th pick to the giants. Just an extraordinary senior season and the stats just really fly off the scorecard. And then a really interesting story from Jacob Steinmans, who was the 77th pick to the Arizona diamondbacks who was coming to Fordham had signed to come to Fordham. And now, He's actually going to be entering the league, if he does choose to, as the first Orthodox Jew ever drafted officially to the Major League Baseball. So just a really interesting story. And if you read up about him and the challenges of that and, and staying committed to his faith as he goes through baseball on a travel scene, it's been really interesting. So, Mike, I'll start with you because you wrote a, a story for us on Mikulski and his story and kind of just such an incredible season and such an incredible accomplishment for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, once again, uh, congratulations, you know, uh, uh, getting picked uh, in the majors is no small feat, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, if you take a look at the stats, I mean, the last season with a 1.45 ERA or a 9-0 and record, you know, that's, you know, it, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, th that shows you why uh, he was selected uh, in the as the 50th pick. I think, Dylan, that has very similar trends, Mikulski, to a certain pitcher that you cover on the Mets. It's the first thing I always think about when you look at his dominance. He, he absolutely does, specifically just how well he pitched in the A-10 uh, during his junior and senior seasons. But, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, just as a side note, how uh, the, the trend is upward for Fordham baseball. It shouldn't surprise us this much, considering that Fordham has the oldest baseball program. The winningest, too. Yeah. In all of the country. 
Um, but it just has been such an upward climb, as you mentioned, over the last couple of years before in baseball. It's incredible to see. But there is quite the resemblance to a certain pitcher who, who throws in Queens. He used to have a little bit longer hair, but doesn't anymore. It's, it's, uh, that type of dominance is not to be uh, diminished at any level, let alone, um, let alone that of college baseball. Maybe it's not Major League Baseball, but he is continually on that climb. I actually think he's a really wonderful fit for the Giants organization yeah. and the type of pitchers that they like to churn out. Uh, so I think he'll do really well there. I think he is big league bound personally. So I can't wait to see what happens for him. Yeah, heck of a year for the Giants. So they've been terrific this year. Adam Mikulski to the mix. I think what's been most impressive to me about him is, you know, we spoke to him for, for WFUV Sports. He was gave us some time there to, for an interview. And one of the most interesting things was that after last year, he was still a terrific pitcher last year and obviously didn't get the draft result that he wanted because it was so shortened down to those five rounds. He had this commitment to just come back. He said, I looked myself in the mirror. I said, what do I need to do to get to where I want to go? And it's been, it's very rare that you see something where a guy comes back for his senior year, makes such a huge leap forward. And he changes mechanics, you know, to be have a shorter arm motion, but that's only one part of it. It's also about getting in the gym, working really hard, improving as a pitcher on the mound, improving as a leader off the field as he was the Fordham Athletics, um, Vince Lombardi award winner for just being the best overall athlete and leader for the Fordham Athletics community. And there's something to be said about that, about somebody who just comes back and shows that commitment to improve and now gets rewarded for it. I think it's fantastic. And then for Steinmetz, the thing that's really interesting about him, as I mentioned, is balancing that faith element of it. And there's been a lot of interesting stories in the national news about him and the challenge of this, having to bring certain food with him on the road and having to stay committed to his faith. And just a really interesting story. We don't know whether he's going to accept that major league contract and, and come to Fordham or not. But I just when I heard this and, and read a little bit about him, guys, I don't know about you, but I thought this was really one of the most fascinating stories I've heard in a really long time about just a, a major league prospect getting drafted and to have that Fordham connection really special. Absolutely. I just think that, you know, there is, it, it's a challenge that it's, it kind of surprises you to think, and, and, you know, at least, at least it's just for me, I'm sure you felt, you guys felt this way too. In the, in the, in the century plus that we've been playing major league baseball, I know, right? This is the first Orthodox Jewish person to be drafted. That didn't make any sense to no. me. And the more I read about him, the more I understand why an Orthodox Jewish person would not want to play major league baseball. It just, it kind of goes, it goes against everything that they're trying to do with their lives. Um, but the, I think the balance is possible. I think the balance is absolutely possible. Uh, so, you know, for him, you, you really root for, for that to happen. You know, if he's major league caliber at this point, you know, maybe he will decline that major league contract. Maybe he will come to Fordham. We'll get to see, head on how he faces that challenge at the collegiate level not only just because we we know he can ball that's not the <laughs> that's not the issue here um the challenge will be making sure his life can making sure baseball can work in his life more accurately uh so perhaps it's best to try it out in college for a, a year at least maybe two maybe the whole way uh and then continue on to the major leagues uh, Dylan kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think that there is a debate as to, you know, if he can play, he obviously can. So, I mean, it, it's just, you know, up to him. And if he plays for Fordham, I don't think anyone's going to say no to that. You know, I, I feel like he'll be a great addition. And then, uh, and if he does accept the uh, the major's contract, then uh, we'll see how it works out. Yeah, so a really fascinating story with him and Mikulski. And congratulations to the both of them, obviously, moving up to that major league level. Is the, it's just like you said with the Olympics. It's a great accomplishment getting selected. It's a great accomplishment getting picked in the draft. And now that career kind of starts from here. So a lot going on in the Fordham Athletics community as we head into 
the fall sports season that's getting underway. We had a schedule release for volleyball, a schedule release, obviously, for football that's just under 50 days away. So I know we're really excited about that here as well. But a lot going on in the professional landscape. We were talking before the show here about what are we going to talk about? And we just kept adding things to the list because it's been a couple of weeks now. A lot has happened and a lot of things that we're all fans of here and that we all are fans of that we just wanted to get into. And I'm going to start, obviously, with soccer because back when we had spoken initially, this was, I think, the quarterfinals, the semifinals of the Euros, wherever area it was. And since then, we've crowned a champion, we've crowned Italy, and we've crowned Argentina as the Copa champion. So, Michael, I know you pay a lot of attention. Your native Colombia falling out, of course. But what was your overall impression of just these last few months of international, a few weeks, I should say, of international soccer? And we have the Gold Cup going on now, too. should mention that. But so much to unpack here and just your overall takeaways from what you saw. Yeah, it's been um, a interesting summer of soccer. I mean, we could be, uh, because normally you might have, because obviously uh, the Euros are every four years, you know, every um, off year uh, with the World Cup, but because of COVID, we had everything uh, at once. So it was definitely um, a great summer, uh, you know, to just relax and watch the uh, 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 the competitions. Uh, as for Colombia, uh, we did make it uh, into the semis. We lost Argentina in penalties, but at least we got a third place. So, you know, it's, at least we got something out of that, but I mean, it, it's just been an incredible, um, an incredible past couple of weeks. Uh, unfortunately, I, I focused more on the Euros that, uh, than the Copa America, but uh, you know, seeing Messi finally win a trophy with Argentina, exclu- uh, excluding the Olympics, you know, uh, because that was one thing that some people were saying, oh, you know, he he's not the greatest because he because he hasn't won it uh, with his country. He's he's made it to the finals, but he's failed. Well, this time he succeeded. And as for Italy, uh, their winning streak—I forget where it's at—but uh, but it's it's been nonstop for the past mm-hmm. like two. They have not lost a single game, and that level of of dedication and, and and perfection, I guess you would say, is impressive. Because when you look at the Italian side, they don't have. I, I would say like a, a true star, like, you know, and, and what I mean by that, like in England, you have Harry Kane, uh, Argentina, Messi, Portugal, Ronaldo, yeah. you, know, you have like those world star players, but as for Italy, and, and I'm not saying that Italy uh, don't have any great players. They have amazing players. Obviously they won the tournament, but they don't have like that stand out player, which I feel, uh, I feel like it helped them fly under the radar of most people. And, and, and then they took us, I, I wouldn't say by surprise, but then, they went all the way to Wembley, and 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 now it came to Rome. It came, it came to Rome. I, yeah. I love that phrase. It's so good. Very quickly, I also want to say uh, before anything, um, I Michael, international football is the only sport where I allow people to use the 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 word we when talking about their team <laughs> because it actually like it actually is there. Like I will talk about the United States soccer like that, um, but you know, in terms of you know. You look at you look at Argentina winning and, and the argument that that Messi needed a championship to really solidify himself. I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I just like uh, eleven guys on the field and you're going to criticize yeah. the best player. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's my opinion. I've looked on social media and that's what some people are saying. Like, oh, like oh, uh, yeah, no, I I I know it's not. I'm just I'm just yeah, I know yeah, it's not. Yeah. I know it's not. Um, it's just it's just really interesting. And you know, we we saw. I, we saw the same thing with Giannis um, in the NBA uh, get solved this week, but we could talk about that later. Um, and of course, for if you really want my soccer opinions, tune in to FUVFC, um, the, uh, the FUV soccer podcast available all over. But the, the main thing here is uh, you look at a, a team like Italy, and I think they really were able to take advantage of, a, of an England team that was just a little too comfortable playing all those games in their home, uh, in their home stadium. I think it was just, 
um, that you can, and you could sense it in that Denmark game in the in the semis. They the semis, yeah. they just looked too comfortable, and it was just too close for comfort. And especially you can see in that in that final right there, uh, after they scored in the opening minute, they just they they acted like they were in the zone against a team they should not have looked that vulnerable against. And of course, Italy ended up taking advantage of that. That's just what happened. I think you guys are spot on. And something so interesting to me that you mentioned, Michael, was about the, the star players element, because I'm a big believer in general with sports soccer included of star power. And you think about Italy and England, it's really a David versus Goliath situation was the way I saw it, because England's got every big name on the field and on the bench, too. They have such a talented roster at home against an Italy side that uh, you said it wasn't a surprise. I'll say I was shocked that they made it to the final. And when you think about the matchup that was coming into it and they, England scores in the first minute, as you mentioned, I mean, it was really every odd going against Italy, but I think Dylan, you were spot on too, that the England just got too comfortable. And obviously it's a talented team. They'll have a chance. And you saw in the post on social media, as they're trying to bounce back here and deal with all the aftermath of this to bounce back and make a run at the uh, world cup. That's actually next year. As you talk about Michael, with the amount of sports going on right now in soccer, and we should also mention Olympic soccer going on now as well. The U S women's national team fell the other day and a really surprise loss and their unbeaten run, as you mentioned that. Um, and just in general, a really interesting final. And with the Copa, obviously with Messi, you know, we're just a culture that I think evaluates people by championships. It's the way we've always been. Messi's no exception. And I think for him to finally get that, get that, uh, the burden off his back, I think it's just a terrific story for him. So, you know, I agree with you guys that international football is one of the greatest things. And to see rightful champions, I think, in a lot of ways. Italy, I think, was the best team in the Euros without a, without a doubt. Messi's one of the best players in the world. To get that trophy was just really great to see. And I think we, we've seen a lot of greatness in soccer and to have that exemplified in the last two tournaments was really exciting. I'm, I can't wait for the bounce back to the World Cup because it's in the winter next year. Such an interesting time for soccer. And I think to have it so soon, as, as you kind of mentioned, Michael, really interested in how that's going to go and what that tournament has in store. Actually, one more thing I want to mention is that obviously, you know, like once a major tournament uh, ends, you know, the players have to go recharge. But I mean, uh, most leagues are starting next month. Like it, there's a very, very tight window. Uh, take, for example, um, a Pedri from Spain. He played, I, I just saw this on social media. He played a majority of, of his games at Barcelona. Like mm -hmm. he, he played, I'd say over 90% of them. Then he went straight into the Euros. And now he's still playing for the Olympics. Like he has played... I think a game on average around every four days, like that is dedication because now he's, I mean, playing it, playing a soccer game every four days. That's, I mean, that's on some level of, of dedication because it's, a you know, soccer is one of the most, I don't know what, I don't want to say athletic, but I mean, like you, yeah, you run the most. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're running back, especially uh, if, if you're in a position of central midfielder, you know, you're running back and forth and just to be playing, all of those games, it's going to have a toll and, you know, it, it's just going to have to, you know, push him back and, and he might miss some of the games, you know, uh, he, I, I don't think he's going to play any preseason games because he's just going to be relaxing and, you know, just recovering from this absolute, you know, year that he's had. And now, you know, and now uh, La Liga starting next month, uh, Syria, the Premier League, you know, like at, now it's time for the leagues. And it's just going to be a very interesting uh, way to see how, uh, how, how some people bounce back, like, you know, say, um, I'm going to take a player from the England team, Raheem Sterling. He lost the Euros final and the Champions League final. Like, how are mm. those players going to cope with losing not only one final but two finals in this in the span of a summer? And and how are the people who have won both, say, say uh, Giorgino, he won with Chelsea and with Italy. How is he going to you know incorporate those winnings into you know it, into the next season? I'm, I'm just I can't wait for it. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. It's really interesting, Michael, because, you know, like 
the the FIFA international calendar mixed in, of course, with domestic league calendars is already such a regular, rigorously tight schedule that anything that threw it off uh, was going to make things difficult. And COVID obviously made things incredibly difficult, uh, mm-hmm. specifically for this summer, trying to get the Euros in while the Copa is happening, the Gold Cup and the Olympics and the World Cup. We still got to get make all those qualifications, which is like most, most, <laughs> most continents are only like halfway through qualifications at this point. It's just so crazy. And, you know, you talk about how late things are happening this year because of how things have progressed and, you know, the fact that, you know, domestic leagues start up in a month, that's why, you know, the U.S. team and the Gold Cup right now is really like an MLSB squad, just because they really don't have anyone else to represent the country right now, because all the top players are going back to the Premier League and the League of Clubs. But, you know, it's, it's also interesting thinking about uh, the effect that having the World Cup in December is going to have, because that will continue to throw things off for an advanced yeah. period of time. That's going to affect international football for at least the next four or five years. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was the post effect. Uh, so it's going to be a weird experiment of watching this, uh, this, this sturdy and rigorous and tightly scheduled year that FIFA has every single year, every single like four years, uh, what seasons you might call them. Uh, it, take, a, take a tumble for the means of having Guitar host the World Cup. Not under the best of circumstances, we might also mention, but that's a story for another day. Uh, another day, yeah. Yeah, and we have, we'll be talking a lot about Qatar, who is in the Gold Cup right now, and has looked quite good actually in a lot of their, yeah. their matches, which has been a surprising to a lot of people. But I'm happy you guys took this in the in the the whole turnaround conversation because as we talk about the NBA, I've been saying this from day one with the league when they started in December of last year. They're going to have a real problem on their hands with playing this regular season, crowning a champion in the Milwaukee Bucks, playing the Olympics, having a lot of their best players in the world in the Olympics right now, even guys that were in the finals. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, going to the Olympics, coming back and playing again in October, doing the same thing, 72 games, if it is 72, or back to 82, all over again, you're going to see a lot of problems, like you've mentioned here, Michael, with soccer. And I think we saw it with this finals, every team really dealing with some sort of injury problem and dealing with something that came their way. Regardless of all that, though, you crown a champion, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are undisputedly the NBA champions, well-deserving of it. I don't want anybody to say otherwise. And I'll start with you, Dylan, just when you look at this NBA season, how turbulent a lot of it was similar to some of the other domestic leagues. But at the end of the day, the playoffs go off without a hitch. You have a rightful champion. Let's take away the Bucks, and you hear that they have the trophy in their hands for the first time in 50 years now. Yeah, well, just to um, just to top off the things you were just talking about. Uh, first off, yes, the, these were a very like legitimate NBA playoffs. My worry for the NBA and the NHL as well is that they are both going to want to get back to 82 games next year on a, on a rigorous schedule that starts in October and goes until June. It's, it's just not, it's just not reasonable at all to do that so quickly. It's going to take another two years, maybe even three to get back to that schedule. And you can just look at baseball to, to see the effects of that baseball just went from a 60 game season to 162 game season again. Mm-hmm. And every team is to deal with injury after injury, after injury. There's a certain team in New York that has had more of that than anybody, but we don't have to talk about that right now. In, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of the Bucks championship here, um, what a team I know people will talk about uh, Giannis having to do this championship on his own, but he really did have a stellar team around him. Giannis may have dropped 50, but, uh, but, but Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, these are, you know, maybe they're not at the star level that we thought was necessary to have an addition to Giannis to win a championship, but they're darn good. But in terms of 
of getting to see Giannis prove everybody wrong in every sense of doubt that came about him in these playoffs, whether it be his ability to win without another star with him, his ability to win late in a series, his ability to overcome an injury, his ability to shoot at the free throw line accurately. Mm-hmm. All of these questions, all these questions he answered with an exclamation point. And it was really wonderful to see, because especially for someone like him, who is very clearly um, such an open and passionate and, 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 and wonderful person. It was just a great thing to see. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things I would say about the Bucks, And I've been so conflicted about this team from day one, because you go back to when I was in high school. And I remember when Giannis first came to the league, I remember telling people this guy will be the best player in the league or some something akin to it in a, in a, in a few years time. And that has obviously grown to be the case. I've loved Giannis from day one, like you mentioned, Dylan, not just because of him as a basketball player, but him as a person. That That is, to me, always what you look for in an athlete. You look for a role model. You look for somebody who you can embody on and off of the playing floor. And that's what Giannis has been from day one. And at the same time, I was dead wrong about the Milwaukee Bucks team. As you mentioned, proving everybody wrong. I did not think this was possible. I really didn't because I thought that they were uh, not talented enough. I'm a big Brooklyn Nets guy, as, as you guys might know. And I thought they were going to walk to the championship. One reason or another, that doesn't happen. But you, in the NBA and in any sport, you play who's in front of you, and that's all you can do. And no matter what challenge, no matter what excuse people came up with, the Bucks played who were in front of them, and they beat them. And I think that is that is all you can ask for. I know that was the simplest take you can possibly have, but that's what you can ask for in sports, is that you have to beat who's in front of you. The Bucks did just that. And to see the city of Milwaukee in a time where, you know, there's not a lot of good news going around, to be able to celebrate like that, I think is a really incredible story for that city, for Giannis as an individual. And to all of the people that are trying to discredit that championship and trying to discredit him, I don't really think there's a place for that because this is completely well-deserved. And like we mentioned with Messi, like we mentioned with everybody else, great players deserve championships. And he, he got one here, Michael. I think uh, you would agree with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't watch uh, any of the finals. Like, uh, I was kind of focusing on other sports, but you know, obviously a huge, uh, a huge, you know, uh, congratulations out of the Bucks, you know, for winning. And, and, and to back what you said, you know, if anyone says, oh, this wasn't a real championship, it, it was, you know, like at, at the end of the day, they they won and they lifted the trophy. So, and I think what's really been surprising to me as we transition into our last conversation, um, I didn't think that coming into this playoffs that we would get what we got in Game uh, Six in Milwaukee, sixty five thousand fans outside of the Deer District. I didn't think we would get that. Should we have gotten that is a very different question, but we did, and I didn't think that was going to happen because of. The COVID situation that we've we've still have in this country. I don't think we can ignore that. And the, the reason I'm talking about this is because of what the NFL recently said. And this was really interesting to me when this came out just before we were on here to record. I saw this from Tom Pelissero reporting on the NFL about their policies on vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. Now, from from for a few months now, the league has been very strict about saying these are the protocols of vaccinated individuals. These are the protocols of unvaccinated individuals. They've been very strict about demarcating between those two things. But now today, in a memo they sent out, we get the most rigid crackdown on vaccination that we've probably seen, where if a team cannot play because of an unvaccinated outbreak, they will have to forfeit that game, except a loss in the standings in the new 17-game season. Uh, If both teams cannot reschedule the game, they will forfeit a certain amount of pay. And there's just a lot of implications here of, of not getting vaccinated if you're an NFL player. And we know, as reports said, there are still a lot of teams under 50%. And we know that there's a few teams that are lagging behind. So guys, this is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of the NFL. Number two, because of its implications for other sports and how they're going to handle it as we head into next season when a vaccination excuse kind of goes away a little bit. So I'm really interested in you guys, Dylan, we'll start with you. Your reaction to this, really interesting to me. 
Well, my main reaction is, um, it sucks that we need to give this much incentive to get vaccinated. But if this is what we got to do, then fine, I guess. By the way, it's not my phone in the background. Don't worry about it. I was about to say. <laughs> that's, that's not mine. I, I would have stopped this podcast to answer it. I promise you. But it's not <laughs> mine. Um, it's, it's just... Uh, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. And it's just, so, it, it's just really strange that we're in this, this, uh, this binary world of the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated. Uh, and I'm, sa- I'm saying this as someone who got vaccinated as early as they possibly could. You know, I have a... Uh, uh, a health condition that would allow me to get vaccinated early. So I, I, I really was, I was one of the first on the train, but um, it's just, it's, it's very, it's just, it's just a weird dynamic. Um, I'm specifically saying this at people who are still not vaccinated, the players who are not vaccinated organizations that are not f- are vaccinated to at least that level. I think that's a, that's a low enough level to get to that. This should be easy to not hit that, to hit that mark. You know, I had to get vaccinated to come to college. Why are you? I I just I just don't understand. I I I just I just don't understand how teams would not be able to hit that mark, and and that you need to throw in this incentive in order for that to happen. It just doesn't. It just makes it's 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 incredibly frustrating. I understand why this rule is put in place. It sounds rigorous. I and and you know what the 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 effect is pretty harsh, um, but it ultimately seems necessary to me. I completely agree with that, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, COVID-19 is still here. Uh, and, you know, the, and the fact that some teams or organizations aren't hitting a mark that, you know, us as students are being forced to, I, you know, I feel like, you know, they, they have an easier capability uh, than some of us. Um, and, and I do believe that, uh, that, you know, those punishments or I guess those, um, you know, it, it, because if a game gets canceled, it, it's not like in baseball or in basketball where you have a lot of games. You only have, I, I think you only have like uh, a 17 games. So if you miss a game, that's going to have a huge impact in your, in your standings, not only in your division, but for the playoffs as a whole. You know, it, it's not like in baseball where you have 162. Here you only have 17. So if you miss one it's going to be a huge, huge impact. And once again, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that, you know, it, it has to come to this from the NFL, you know, like they have to put out these um, things like, hey, if you, if you have it, you're going to, not only are your players going to not make their money from that game, but you're going to have a loss. Like I, 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 I'm kind of shocked that it has to be that harsh for, for some of the teams to actually, uh, uh, for some of the teams to actually get a move on on it. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, now it's not just about the health element of it, but there's a competitive disadvantage. And it, it's incredible. Like you said, Dylan, maybe people value that more than their health sometimes, what a win or a <laughs> loss means, which is just incredible. But for me, I've always said, we, Dylan, you know, we talked about this on the podcast a year ago now. I feared the worst case scenario with sports, where if our, our negligence in playing sports uh, was going to lead to the worst possible case scenario of something happening on the COVID-19 front. Unfortunately, that did not happen in most cases because of protocols taken by leagues and by players. But now it's a much different area. And the reason I say that is because there will be 100% capacity. Roger Goodell already said that. These stadiums will be full completely. We will likely have the same amount of travel that we usually have for an NFL season. We will likely have all of the things that could put you at risk of getting this virus. At the same time, that's coinciding with the virus also getting much worse, with more and more variants getting out there and a lot of dangers on that front. So from a purely health perspective, 
the NFL is a great risk of not getting vaccinated. You look at certain success stories like the New York Yankees that have had multiple times now, they've had a COVID outbreak of sorts, but because of the vaccinations, they've been able to proceed. Their season has not been derailed whatsoever, and they've been able to keep guys healthy. That's a success story. That's what the NFL is trying to have here. And they said, if you are vaccinated, we will work with you. And we will try to, you know, not have to reschedule these games and things like that, because you presume that two negative tests, you're back to action because of the way the vaccine helps you. And that means that if you're unvaccinated, there's going to be real problems and real risk as COVID gets worse and as the NFL returns to normalcy. There's a lot of things that, that are at play there. And you combine that health element, that very real health element you have to worry about with now the competitive element of taking, as you mentioned, Michael, a loss, which in an NFL season means a lot more than a baseball season. It means a lot more uh, if we're talking just competitively, getting one, one loss of 162 versus one loss of 17 games. There's a big difference here. So I think, as you kind of mentioned, Dylan, the answer here seems pretty clear cut. There's a few teams that are above 85%, but to those ones that are below 50, the next report to me about where those numbers are at, very telling of what the season has in store. Very telling. And, you know, the you mentioned something I found interesting where people care more about <laughs> the, the number in the win, win column than their own health. I would even go further. They care more about the win column than the health of everybody? Yeah. Like, that just, like, that just seems, it just seems so strange and it's incredibly frustrating to me. It's like, it's just, and you know, as you mentioned, Alex, we have talked, you and I and a couple other folks at one-on-one ex extensively about um, different COVID protocols. The NFLs in particular have been rather tough on. Mm -hmm. And, and I, think it's, I think it's for good reason, because this is a billion dollar organization um, that I just feel like is, it, it feels like, co like COVID is getting in the way of something they had a right to. That's the thing that really bothers me. And I've been searching for months to find the right way to phrase that. And I, I just found it right now. So yeah, there we go. So I just, it just, it just really frustrates me, especially that, you know, you mentioned travel is going to be at the level it's supposed to be. All these stadiums are going to be hundred percent capacity by September. We probably will be past the epsilon variant of this virus. Uh, if we're going to keep using well, There's apparently a gamma now too, apparently. So. Oh yeah. So I think the gamma, so I saw that on Twitter this morning. I think gamma just means like, I think that's the Brazil variant oh, okay. as it's called. And then the UK was like the alpha variant or something of that sort. But now we're on the, as we record this, the Delta. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. By the time you hear this, it might be uh, the uh, Omega variant. And that's not a good sign because there's nowhere to go after that. But um, yeah, it's, 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 inc it's incredibly concerning. And I'm very curious what the next specifically two weeks are going to bring. Yeah. For the NFL and all of the world that surrounds the NFL, and I'm sure you agree with me, Michael. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, um, you know, uh, just like you said, what happens in the next two weeks? You know, if because I'm honestly, um, what I'm hoping and what I think I'm going to expect is that the teams that are under fifty percent, you know, now that they know about the severe punishments, you know, like with the whole, you know, not only other players not going to get paid, you know. Uh, a loss in a 17 game win season um that's gonna be massive so i feel like now we're gonna see a lot of players getting vaccinated and a lot of teams uh improving their numbers just because at the end of the day to a to most organizations you know it, it's all about the money and i don't think that you know and I, I, i'm trying to pick my words carefully here but i yeah. mean at the end of the day cash is king you know organizations need the money and i and I highly doubt that they're going to be like, yeah, 
let's not you know protect ourselves against losing a losing out at a game because if it's a home game not only like what's the policy on refunding tickets you know like all exactly. yeah. game day, like that's going to be a huge impact in their financials so right now i, I expect within the next two weeks all the teams are magically going to hit that 85 percent just because at the end of the day, cash is king and and like you mentioned, regardless of the motivations behind it, not something I thought I'd find myself saying, but credit to the NFL for doing this, because I think they're the first league to really come out and make that stand uh, between the vaccine, the vaccinated, unvaccinated individuals. And I'm really, like you said, Mike, I think it's going to be interesting to see what that has in store for the NFL. But also, I'm not going to speculate on this now, but what that has in store for other sports. And I'm particularly interested in college athletics, because there was a lot of times last year, games were canceled, postponed, rescheduled. Teams already have schedules, as we mentioned, off the top. Football's got a very set schedule to play certain teams certain weeks. And what are they going to do if something does happen? Uh, for hopefully a school like Fordham, we won't have that issue because of the vaccination requirement. But not every school has that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the, the playing field looks like for college athletics as we head into the next few months and into the fall. But we'll obviously cover that. We'll obviously be talking about it and a lot to unpack there. So, guys, we've hit on a lot here. We've talked about a lot of stuff, had a lot of conversation. Before we wrap it up, anything on your mind that we missed? Um, give me, give me a minute. Uh, We've got all day. Don't worry. Uh, no, I'm good. Um, one thing, uh, uh, you know, I, I am a bit biased, so I am going to talk about the formula one season. Oh, um, cool. just this Sunday, we have the bridge grand prix and, uh, uh, before I get, uh, before I continue, how many people did you say showed up outside of the stadium? Oh, did Milwaukee? Yeah. 65,000. Okay. Um, well, as uh, as I said in the, in my article a couple of weeks ago, uh, the race was going to be at the Silverstone Circuit, so uh, in England, and they announced it's going to be at a, it was at a hundred percent. Guess how many people showed up during the entire weekend? It's got to be like two hundred thousand. I think so too. Over three hundred thousand. Okay. I <laughs> number, but they did show it. It was like three hundred and thirty-five. Don't quote me. That's on incredible. That, that was. It was an absolute sellout crowd, and they saw uh, their uh, their national hero Lewis Hamilton uh, win the race in a controversial way. Um, in lap one, he took out his well, I, I don't want to say took out, but um, he <laughs> he had a crash with his main rival uh, that took uh, Max Verstappen out of the race in a massive, massive act. It, it brought out the red flag. The race had to be suspended for I think like thirty minutes. But I mean, uh, and now as a result of this the uh the championship is now wide open instead of that huge gap that we had it's now four points and seven points if i'm not mistaken on in both uh, in both standings so now i'm just looking forward for the rest of the season because now if for step yeah. and hamilton like and obviously you know there's a bit of respect you know between the drivers you know you leave space but what i expect is that verstappen will not be as nice as he has been uh, <laughs> Like I, I fully expect at the uh, uh, at the um, at the next race, I think is next week. I fully expect if Verstappen's ahead by turn one and Hamilton sends something up the inside, I fully expect Verstappen to just absolutely like don't even leave a, a, an inch of space. I fully expect that to be a hard battle, uh, and, and I'm just excited for the rest of the season. I'll say I'm no expert on Formula One, but your articles and what this season has made me very interested in it because there's been a lot of storylines. So if you do want to learn more, follow Michael because he's an expert on it and a lot of really interesting stuff there that Actually, this well, season well, has. If you do want to get into Formula One, uh, there's a show on Netflix called Drive to Survive, and it's okay. in partnership with Formula One. It's a Netflix okay. original, and for the past three years, they have done um, – it's basically a behind-the-scenes look into Formula One. So uh, the first season was about the 2018 year. 
season two, 2019, and then uh, season three, which was released, I think back in February, I forget when, was about the, uh, last year. So the 2020 season and how everyone dealt with COVID. And it's it's a very good show to like give you the behind the scenes look, because obviously what happens on the track matters, but what's also equally important, or maybe more important in some cases, what happens off the track, the fact that it's a cutthroat, you know, the fact that, you know, it's a it's a very expensive sport. You have millions of dollars flowing into getting that car exactly right or getting the driver, getting sponsorships. And, you know, it's like I said before with the NFL, cash is king there. Like, for example, um, you might not, a driver who might, you know, um, a driver who might be amazing, who's fast, who has the pure speed, they may not bring in sponsorships. And at a certain point, a team needs money to survive. You know, uh, and you know, it, it's. I'm just a big fan of that show. So if you want to get into F1, I would definitely recommend binge, binge watching all three seasons. So you get a bit of, you know, uh, it, it explains the sport in a great way, and then, uh, and then, you know, just obviously watch the races as we go along. Checking that out, Dylan. Yeah, no, I'm. I will certainly watch that. There we go. So, and if you want to learn more, read Michael's article. So we got all things Formula One in the Fordham Ram as well. So guys, we've had on everything here. It's been a packed episode, a lot of fun, and like you said, Dylan, it's not a podcast series so now episode two episode three on the way soon thanks for hanging out with us alex waltz Dylan balsamo michael hernandez this is section 103 and we'll see you all next time